Welcome to Life Without Secrets. Do you often find yourself comparing your life to your friends on social media? You see the glamour, the success, the perfect family, the perfect kids, the awesome vacations. But what's really behind the highlight reel? In Life Without Secrets, we are going to dive deep and reveal the secrets, struggles, and strategies people have used in real life to get to who they are now and who they are becoming. Because the truth is, nobody is perfect, and you are never alone in what you're going through. So don't forget to subscribe to the show, because it's time to connect on a deeper level and grow together. Today, I have Drew Johnston on the show with me. Drew and I met last November at a mastermind in Scottsdale. And one of the things I admired about Drew was his vulnerability and desire to love and help others. His story of triumph in his life and his marriage is one to be sure to bring inspiration and hope. Drew, thanks so much for coming on the show today and sharing your story with us. Thank you so much for having me. Yeah, I'm super excited. When we met, I could really just see how much you love and admire your wife and just in the way you spoke about her and the way you told your story. And I was just wondering if you could start by telling us first how you and your beautiful wife, Kara, met. That goes back a while, quite a long (laughs) time, actually. We we were each other's first kiss, uh, actually, first boyfriend and girlfriend. Back in when we were both about uh, 14. I was oh my gosh. 15, she was 14. And we shared one horrible kiss. Um, pretty sure I was a little over anxious. I accidentally hit teeth with my now wife. It lasted a long, hot, you know, three weeks. And she would actually tell you two. She would tell you two weeks. That, then she broke up with me. We flirted throughout high school, and I remember like dancing with her at at a couple of dances, and seeing her at sober grad night, and flirting with her. I, I'd always always had my eye out, and obviously we went different directions. And actually, being five years after high school, that I got a random text from her, and she'd got my number off of Facebook. And I just remember being with one of my buddies and it's like, you know, it's like, you, you'll never guess who just called, you know, called me. And he's like, who? I'm like, he's like, I'm like, Kara. He's like, Kara Lee. I'm like, yeah. <laughs> yeah. He's like, ex-girlfriend, like freshman year. I'm like, yep. She did. He's like, oh, that's fun. And so we ended up, we ended up hanging out. Um, and really it just it just clicked from then on. Like we just were inseparable pretty much from that point forward. I wasn't in the best place in my own life. So she was one that um, having her in my life helped me get, get on track. I remember the, after the first night that we hung out and everything, I remember calling my best friend and being like, like she's the one man. And I was always the single guy. I was like, dude, she's the one. Right. And, but it wasn't, it, for her, it was not the one. Okay, it was more so like I've always had a crush on him. I wonder if you know he even knew, you know, still remembers my name, kind of thing. Like uh, it was, but that was not. Uh, he's the one for sure. <laughs> and now this is five years after high school, right? So you're like twenty three ish. Yep, but uh, twenty three. Okay, and she's like twenty one. Uh, she's twenty two at the time. Yep. And so 
I remember, so we started dating, right? And I, I, I tell people that my wife, Kara was like a 12 step program, right? Like she would let me take steps. Like she wouldn't want me to, we wouldn't hold hands in public. Cause no, no, that was too much of a commitment. Um, you know, and then we got to the point where we'd hold hands, but we couldn't kiss in public. Okay. Right. Even though she was, you know, quite attracted to me where, you know, quite the, I, I find us an attractive couple. So it wasn't one of those things that she was like ashamed to be next to me or be seen kissing me. She just didn't like, didn't like the attention, nothing like that. No right? PDA. <laughs> no, yeah, she did not like it. We started dating and then I was not good on paper, right? Like I was, didn't have a job at the time, didn't, nothing. Yeah, wasn't good. So she broke up with me again, right? She just does that when I'm 14, now when I'm 23. And uh, I remember she's like crying when she's doing it. And it was because essentially it's like, I can't bring you home to my, my parents, right? So I did more in a week than I had done in like, five years, probably since I got into fire Academy. I got into EMT school. All like I, I got a job. Well, no, it was a temp job at the time. I was just doing the school. We ended up getting back together. Right. And so we then ended up getting pregnant and got married when I was in fire Academy. And so we, I always joke with people. Yep. I always joke with people. It's like, we, we had a shotgun wedding without the shotgun because like we would have married each other or like we had had a trip to Reno that we had talked about wanting to, you know, do you want to elope? Right. And she's like, no, my parents would kill me. It's like, Oh, I loved her so much. You know, we ended up um, getting married. So first you didn't have the job to show her parents and now you knock her up. <laughs> I was not necessarily. Did her parents like you at the altar? <laughs> they did. They did. Like it was one of those that you could always see potential, right? That's what I've always gotten. You know, like we had talked about earlier off camera that it was like, you know, the way that we both grew up, right? Just so didn't, no one cared, no nothing. So I was always a nice guy with great potential, but I always made really stupid decisions, mm-hmm. right? And so her parents could see. Right, I was a guy that loved her, loved their daughter. Right, you could you could tell, and but at the same time, I just wasn't good on paper. That's for sure. I was getting better though. Yeah, right? you're getting better. <laughs> yeah, now you know nowadays I'm I'm much better on paper. But well, yeah, uh, yeah. So so you so, so yes, you we, so how how far along is she when you get married? She is four or six months pregnant. Had the whole little, like, you know, little bump uh, in uh, the um, photos. But the nice thing about her, her dress, it didn't show it, right? So, you know, but like <laughs> I said, I would have married her, like, after day one. So mm. it was all, I was all good with it. Now, that was how long ago now? And now that baby is now our uh, oldest, who's 11. So this, we've been married now. We just celebrated our 12th year anniversary. So, and we, we, and we dated, we only dated for like six months before we got married. 
I'm telling it was it was quick. When you know, you know. When my husband and I met, it was like I went home and told my mom, Well, I met the man I'm gonna marry. And she was like, What? And I'm like, Yeah, I met my future husband. And I was so serious. I I was like, Nope, I already know I'm gonna marry him. And sure enough, I did, but it was not six months later. <laughs> For us, it was uh four and a half years later by the time we got married. But oh really? Wow. Yes. But I had already had a kid, so it was like you had to be very cautious, you know. Make sure it all lined up. My longest relationship at that point was like three or four months. Oh, so, okay. Up until you had gotten married. Up until I got married. I, and I'd always been the guy that was like, I'm just here to have fun. Right. Like, let's just, let's just cut through it. Like no need for either of us to get hurt. Right. If you're down mm-hmm. for it, cool. If not, let's just be friends. Right. Like all good. And when I met back up with my wife, it was like total opposite. She thought I was spitting game at her because I was like, no, I'm looking for something serious. Mm. Like you're, you're pretty much exactly what I want out of a girl. So I feel like you like, knew that when you were kissing her and when you guys were young. <laughs> oh, I love this man. Oh, yeah. <laughs> so sweet. She was the one that was like, you know, got away and I'd be watching. Like I, I went into the football world and she went dance and like she'd be doing her dances and be like people like isn't that your ex-girlfriend like yep i'm watching she's got my attention so you guys get married and you have a baby right away and what's going on at that time like are you um are you in a fire career or what what are you guys doing i ended up graduating i graduated just to realize that i didn't want to do it at all um And it was one of those two that I realized in that, and I I have such respect for the fire world, you know, fire and police, you know, first responders. I have so much respect. I also know that fire is, I think, the number two, like, highest divorce rate career that's out there, right? And so when they were talking to me and it was, I just got married, I'm about to have my first kid, and they're like, it is uh, God fire and your family. And I was like, no, it's not. Mm-hmm. Like, That's not how my priorities lie. And you know, I w- they were very real with me. I was like, maybe it's not for you. Right. I was like, you're, you might be right. Yeah. I'm just going to graduate because I paid the money for it and I don't, I don't uh, quit things. Right. Mm-hmm. So I did that and then ended up working in, worked a couple of jobs working in a warehouse, you know, dead end job, but paid the bills and we were young and we ended up having our second kid two years later. And then we went, we had bought a house, we sold it and we're buying our, our second house. And in the process, my wife and my mother-in-law kind of turned to me and were like, you know, you're doing the job for our real estate agent. Like you're doing better at this than, you know, the real estate agent is, you ever thought about getting into it? And so I ended up getting into that and that's, you know, what I still do to this day. Okay. That is awesome. So when you got married and you're going through these jobs and you guys are trying to get settled, was there any transition periods that were like particularly difficult that you guys went through? Cause I think oftentimes, you know, there's like this stage in a relationship where it's like, 
kind of live in this fantasy world, right? You're like, you know, you get married and you're, it's exciting. And then you have, you have babies and you're like, oh, this is what I'm supposed to do. I'm living this dream. And then like reality hits, right? And we have bills to pay and like kids to take care of. And like, how was there a transition period there that was difficult? What did life look like? Um, yeah, you know, when when it came to moving from our first to our second, right, that was a tough transition. Uh, we were in this tiny, tiny house. I think it was like a thousand square feet, two bedrooms, right? Uh, two bed, two bath. And so essentially we'd already outgrew it. Um, and my, my wife had um, pretty bad postpartum. And kind of one of those things that um, wasn't necessarily, it was a little bit of a precursor to, you know, the stuff that ended up happening to us later. Right. But it was more so just, just bad postpartum. We learned more about hormones and things like that after that pregnancy being in real estate, there was a time where essentially we didn't lose our house, but we came real close to it. Right. I'd end up being in the, in my career for a couple of years and did well. And then, you know, Kara quit her job. And so it was all on me. And there's a part where it just got, you know, the stress got really bad to me. I think at the time I was also quitting. Like I used to be a big pothead. I had all those, all those bad decisions. And so uh, I've been, you know, sober from that for eight years, eight and a half years. Um, mm-hmm. But uh, it was a really good thing to get off of that. And, you know, I kind of turned from me being into into that world. And I was also, I have ADD, like no one's business. And so at the time I also was on um, Adderall. And so it was just kind of these high lows, high lows, and just kind of got to the point where it little broke a little bit. And I quit because uh, my wife had, you know, gave me the ultimatum, right? Quit or me and the kids are leaving. Was that when you were in a, being a realtor? Like right as I was about to start. And that was where I was working the dead end job and just upset with life, really, you know, but then I quit that and then I did get my license and kind of went into full go mode. You quit basically smoking pot. Is that what you're saying? Yeah. And quit the job as well. So you're flipping your life around. So that was a big transition. And she didn't obviously like you doing that. It sounds like. And so that was where the ultimatum came in. It was the struggle got big and she was like, okay, it's either that or me. Yeah. Yeah. And then about a year later, that's when we had to, or a year and a half, you know, essentially the first year in real estate went well and going into uh, the second year, not realizing kind of like the cyclical part of the market. That's where we got overextended and learned about taxes as well not having it get taken out for you and all that. So yes, that's a big transition going from a W2 to a, uh, yeah. So then after we sold that, we went into a rental, had our third baby. And that's where I definitely gotten kind of really into 
work and kind of turned into a little bit of a workaholic, not necessarily dealing with my own emotions positively, you know, through therapy and whatnot. So we had our third and we kind of have then the precursors that started showing up with my wife's drinking. Okay. Started kind of showing up a little bit more. And then we ended up having an oops of our fourth. So yeah, that's why we have four kids. And when they oops, because uh, you know how when they say IUDs are 99% accurate? Uh, don't tell me that. I have one. <laughs> we won God's lottery. Wow. <laughs> yeah, that one. So we found out at nine months after we had our third that we were pregnant with our fourth. Our third and fourth are 18 months apart. And it's already a stressful time. Yep, already a stressful time. Then it ended up being that, so my wife is pregnant with our fourth, and I ended up getting sick from a bacterial infection called C. diff. Mm -hmm. Oh, that's terrible. I do. That's a terrible thing. Oh, I'm so sorry. So I was sick for two months. Oh, I was going to say months. Yeah. And I ended up getting into the hospital. I remember in the hospital, they had told me, I remember the dumbest nurse that sat there and talked to me. And she was like, you know, it might just be your food. Your, you know, you should have a food diary, right? You're too young for C. diff. It starts la- listing off all the stuff. I'm like, okay. Like I'm, I'm literally like, it, like it feels like Freddy Krueger is trying to come out of my stomach every time I eat something. Right. And I remember a guy walked in at like 2 a.m. They had finally taken a stool sample and they were like, like, yeah. So and they came in like this is pre-COVID times. Right. So then they, the guy's like fully peeping up. Right. And it's like, um, what's going on? And he's like, yeah, you do have C. diff. And it's a good thing you're young because you should already be dead. And you probably had a, a week or two left. Yep, exactly. So that was good. So I almost died. I'm more scared of that than COVID just for the record. (laughs) Well, and with that, like you're, so you're working a ton and then you're sick, right? So you're like non-existent to your family with that, I'm sure. Right. And you know, obviously my wife is like, I am, I'm trying to work as much as I can. Right. And yeah, it was tough. And we ended up buying a house at this time too. I literally signed the loan docs in my hospital bed. Oh my gosh. So, and they kind of came in like three week increments. Okay. So I got out of the hospital and I really wasn't ready to like start moving stuff yet, but I essentially moved three weeks later. Okay. So we moved after I got out of the hospital three weeks later, I moved into the new house. Three weeks after that, we had our fourth baby. We're just barely into this new house. Okay. And then three weeks after that, my mom committed suicide. So we're six weeks into this new house after I just had my own, you know, with death. My mom committed suicide. I remember the the sheriff showed up at my door. And honestly, I thought that I just, I'm like, oh, this is something from my past, right? It's like that I'm just in trouble. Like they'll they'll figure it out if he's got to arrest me, whatever. Like it's all good, right? Like it'll be fine. And uh, he just, you know, just asked if it's like, you know, is Debbie your your mom? And I said yes. And he said, I, you know, I regret to inform you, like she's she died last night. I'm like, I live in California. She's in Idaho. I'm like, what? You know, I had no idea. 
And she, now at that point, was she still married to your dad? Mm-mm. No, they had, they had divorced. Was she by herself? She was with a boyfriend. She, my mom was bipolar. And so she would kind of jump from guy to guy and, you know, one, like they were going to get married and then they, she hates them. And it's been a, a week, you know, and the, the new guys, he's going to be the one that she marries. And, you know, it's, uh, it was one of those that I love her and she did the best that she could for, you know, ultimately she was sick and um, was in a lot of pain and needed to get out of it. And so that's the way that she chose. Right. And it's a, it's a very hard thing to go through. And I definitely emotionally shut down after that. And so you know, let's see, about six months, not even six months, um, five months later, my wife ended up going into rehab because so, her drinking had gotten pretty out of control. How long was it before that that she was de- struggling with that? That's the hard part when it comes to alcoholism is that for her, and I, I, my heart goes out to her and to other women that, you know, when it goes to pregnancy, right, and the fact that she always looked at it, it was like, well, I can, I can be sober for nine months. Like, what are you talking about? Like, I don't have a problem. Right. I just like to have, you know, my mommy, my, my mommy fun cup, mommy fun cup turned into a lot of fun cups and um, turned into a problem. Right. And, um, yeah, I have friends that are going through it right now that have turned to me for advice with it. And, um, because we lived through it and we got through it on the other end not through, not without pain and heartache and a long time. Like we were separated for 10 months. When she was struggling and she went into the rehab, was there, what was the point that she, was it her decision that she decided to go to the rehab or was it what, what, what led to her going? She wanted to, she wanted to, but it ended up that we had an intervention she went for the first time because she'd been trying for a while, right? It's, you know, anyone that's went through it kind of goes through these stages where it's like you can last a day and then you can last three days. And, you know, and for her, it was always like she could last three weeks, you know, at the, her longest and then falter and she'd, you know, feel horrible and shameful about herself. And, and so when it finally got to the point where she just couldn't control it whatsoever, then she needed to go in. And so, you know, we did 30 days on an inpatient um, facility. And that was tough, you know, like being a solo dad to four kids and trying to work and with a, you know, six month old at home. She got through that. And, you know, it was one of those that, you know, I have to make sure to not just villainize her right because she she had a disease that she was fighting right and to be honest after everything that happened with my mom like i was emotionally distant and there had been a lot of things that had you know a lot of kind of pain that had happened before it got to the point where you know she needed an intervention that um i was pretty i had some um big walls up you know my wife which wasn't 
uh, you know, looking back, I wish I wouldn't, I wouldn't have, but it led us to where we're at, which I'm incredibly thankful for. Right. So, so yeah, about a hundred days later after she got out, um, or I guess two months later, so 60 days later, she had relapsed. And, um, so she went back to, um, treatment for a second time. And then she went to a sober living house after that, because essentially our relationship had been, you know, it's pretty volatile. So, and was that like a choice that was that, you know, like she had given you an ultimatum with, you know, you quitting, you know, smoking pot. Was this kind of an ultimatum for you at that time that made her go, you know what, I'm going to keep going at this or what? Yeah. I mean, that was definitely, um, definitely was an ultimatum. It was, um, you know, I, it's always hard. Like when, when you're in, uh, when someone's in the middle of addiction or alcoholism, their mind just, uh, it's like it's abducted. Right. Like my wife talks about it where she didn't get her mind back until the first, like after the first year of sobriety. Right. I can, I can attest to it. Right. Like I got my wife back and even better than I ever knew. Right. After that year, but getting through that year was hell. So you guys separate. How did she go from the rehab to sober living? Was there a program just for people out there, like, you know, that were are curious, maybe they're suffering through the something like that. How does that work? Is there, you know, the things that I would give on like, you know, advice on is the person that's in addiction has to want it for themselves, right? You can, you can want all you, all you want, but it doesn't matter ultimately. Right. And I've, I've explained this to one of my, my friends who he's going through this right now with his wife, where, you know, when it comes to, um, you know, that, that substance to that addict or alcoholic, it's the love of their life. Mm -hmm. And, you know, when you are asking that person to give up the love of their life for you, you can't, you can't ask that, right. It has to be done by them, you know? And it's like, you know, when times were tough for that person, right. What was there for them was, it was that substance. So, you know, and then when it came to going into the sober living, like it, she stayed a lot longer than she, um, that she should have. And that was more on me, and my walls, right? I wanted six months of sobriety before she came home. And um, I, I wish that I, you know, would have been more lenient on that just based off of her and how well she was doing. I think though, too, like, I, I, I don't think, and I don't know where your brain was at there, but sometimes we do things because we love someone, right? And those are the, like the hardest things sometimes that we have to do. But yeah. love doesn't look like, you know, agreeing with their choices because you love them. Sometimes yeah. it looks like standing up for what's best for them. Yeah. Well, and then when you put in kids in the mix. Yeah. Then it comes to what's best for the kids. Right. right? So you know, so when she went back and then came, uh, like when she was in there for the second time, we had a meeting with one of the therapists there and just realized there was a lot of anger 
a lot of hurt feelings and it wasn't a good, um, it wasn't healthy for her to be home at the time. Right. Mm -hmm. And so, you know, I went to, we ended up having like a real bad fight and we ended up having a, you know, just being vulnerable and transparent for everybody to see kind of what you can come back for is at the, that point I had filed for a restraining order and got full custody of my kids at that time too. So tough one for her, but that's also what made her truly decide that she wasn't going to do getting sober for me. It was getting sober for herself. And, you know, it's one of those that it's taken us a long time to get to that point where we could be thankful for it. Okay. Because it was a very hard and sore subject still, you know, as of this was, I don't know, four years ago, three years ago. And just till this last year, as it was not sore anymore. Yeah. And I just want to say that, like, I think Kara is so brave. And I really admire her because, you know, addiction is hard. And she was brave enough not only to beat her addiction, but to take that time away from her kids. And I can only imagine how truly devastating that was for her to be there for that long and and really do the work, right? But like how brave of her to just keep going, you know, and doing the work. Look what you have now. Yep. Yep. And so when it can, you know, ended up being that it came up, I think it was May and the restraining order, I think was in January. Uh, And then we ended up just having distance and really didn't know what we were going to do as a couple. Right. Mm -hmm. But what was amazing was that her sobriety kept growing right? Time kept stacking. And so it ended up being that in May, we ended up have God gave us a miracle, right? And it was because I remember, and in this time frame too, I want to kind of put it out there that if you're in these time frames, like reach out to positive people. And in for us, it, you know, I would advise you godly people because that's what I had on my side, right? Mm-hmm. And Kara did not. My wife did not have. Um, she had people that were negative people and other addicts around her that, you know, weren't necessarily the best influence, right? Where I had a lot of people that were preying on me and saying that you're going to make it, right? Mm-hmm. And so, um, but to transition back to May, we were at the, actually at the point where we were going to go to a therapy session to divorce nicely, amicably. Okay. At this point, it had gotten pretty bad and everything, right? And so when I say the miracle was that, and I hope it's okay to go uh, religious on you. Absolutely. Yeah. Okay. So I had the, you know, the one time that I've heard God talk to me in my life was at this time. And I remember just crying and praying, just like, God, take this away from me. I cannot do this anymore. That's been through too much pain. 
just you I need to know if I need to hold on to this or if I just need to let her go. And he said, don't let her go yet. And it was like, you know, we all have an inside voice in our heads, right? And that was there. It wasn't my voice. This was probably just the next day or a couple days later that we went to the therapy session. And we left all my walls that came down in that therapy session. We left that therapy session from, from the start of where we were going to be divorcing nicely to we left on a date. And so we went to a Starbucks date and we decided that we were going to, you know, we're going to try. Okay. And you know, at the beginning we tried for the kids, right? We tried for the kids and it wasn't something that was, you know, it grew to then we were trying for us. Right. Cause it, then it got to a point where, the feelings were really coming back enough that it was like, okay, I can't just be in this for just the kids. Like I need you to know. And she was really like this. Like she needed to know if I was in it and if she was in it for us or just for the kids. But I remember I ended up getting a couple of bonuses that I remember at the end of, uh, of a year. And we ended up going to a vacation as a family. The first one we'd ever been on, let alone being back together. Right. We'd never, never been on one. And it was the most magical time that we've ever had. And it's so funny because we've went back to the, it was a Disneyland one. We've went back to so many things from the, since then, right. Cause my career has really uh, went the right direction. Praise God. It's never been the same. We did it on the least amount of money because it was just, it was the thing that turned it around for us. And it, it's interesting because it happened two weeks before COVID hit. Oh, wow. We went two weeks before COVID hit and then COVID hit and it was, COVID for us was the biggest blessing as a family that we could have ever asked for because it made us the time frame of like we had to rebuild everything, right? You know, like the feelings, the love there, the respect there, right? We had to rebuild it all. The trust. And the trust, exactly. And it was it was like on hyperdrive. And it's funny, my seven year old still has the uh, memory, it's like a core memory for her of us sitting in bed eating salt and vinegar chips, just watching watching uh survivor series like because everything was shut down so you're like whatever let's just binge watch all right and, and we just sat there and we just oh fell back in love that is so beautiful drew like i love that story and it just shows how people can come out of something and make something just the flower will bloom from nothing right yeah and you know what i can tell you and tell everybody so my wife and this is what uh february in december she she celebrated four years sober and we actually ended up bearing our testimony to our entire church uh and she got to tell you know her story to the to the church you know thousands of people and uh, i can't i couldn't be more i couldn't be more proud of her Oh my gosh, me too. That is magical. And the great thing too is that it it is so much better now than it ever was. Not even 
like everything, our intimacy, our love, our respect, our trust, everything is so much better than it ever was. That's so cool. Is there any advice you would give for those that are struggling, like maybe behind closed doors? Like some advice for those that are struggling behind closed doors or even both sides, you know, like, but more so maybe for the spouse that doesn't know what to do. What I would tell the spouse is there's a fine line between grace and enabling. And it's a really hard one to teeter. Okay. So I would say that look into, there is a secular program called Al-Anon that you can look into. Okay. There's also more of a religious based program that you can look into called Celebrate Recovery okay, as well. And what I can say to you is that they talk about alcoholism and addiction being a family disease. Okay. And what that means is that because most likely most people that end up having a alcoholic or addictive spouse had that growing up, had some of that in their family, okay, which taught the enablism that you display. So when you are kind of looking outwards, you know, that whole saying of when, you know, for every one finger pointed at someone else, there's three pointing right back at you, right? There's a good point of looking at yourself and the toxic traits that you bring to the relationship. Okay. And realize that you can only change yourself. Okay. Like I can, I couldn't make Kara get sober. Right? I couldn't make my wife get sober. I can't to this day. I cannot make her stay sober, okay? but I can love her. I can support her and I can love and support myself as well. Right. I can have healthy boundaries Okay, I can communicate with her. Okay, and if there is a point where that goes away, right, then I can look into therapy. Okay, and if it ever gets to the point where I have to change, choose, you know, myself and my kids over my spouse, which God forbid that ever happens. But for the person that's listening to this, right, it, it is okay to choose yourself and your kids. Okay, because the fact is that the disease, if it's being untreated, it's just going to get worse. I think you're just a true testimony to what can be. So I just appreciate you coming on here and sharing your story. Is there something that I can do to support you or can, how do you feel about people like reaching out to you? Um, yeah, I'm fine with that. That's okay. You know, I would love to of help to people, you know, there's, and I can tell you, um, you know, if you're in pain and hurting and you're in the middle of this, get to one of those groups too. You know, that's like, I, I can be of help for sure, but definitely look to reach out. And if you're in, if you're struggling with a youth, if you think you might be an alcoholic or an addict, most likely if you're having those thoughts, there's a, there's a good reason that you're having those thoughts. You might want to look into getting into meetings and getting a sponsor and going through the program. But yeah, I can reach out. 
And uh, Drew is also a realtor here in Northern California, so you can connect with him for that too. So how can people reach you, Drew? Uh, Yeah, they can reach out. My Instagram is at Drew Johnston, so D-R-E-W-J-O-H-N-S-T-U-N. You can also, you can find me online, my number 916-996-4407. You know, shoot me a text. I'd love to help. I love your heart. All right, Drew. Well, thank you for sharing that beautiful story. And I know that it's going to change so many other people's lives and just bring hope to families all around. So thank you so much for coming on here. Thanks, Jill. I appreciate you. Thanks so much for tuning in to this episode of Life Without Secrets. If you're enjoying the show, please feel free to rate, subscribe, and leave a review wherever you listen to your podcasts. That helps others find the show and we greatly appreciate it. Once again, thanks for tuning in. And we'll catch you in the next episode.